This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Uh, we've got a returning favorite, yep. uh, someone that the Equity Mates community will be familiar with. Yes. Uh, but we're going to be looking at him in a completely different light. We are, yes. Usually, uh, well, firstly, welcome to the show, Matt Leewitz. Oh, no, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, for those of you who uh, haven't heard any of Matt's episodes before, he's the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Stake, the uh, platform that allows Australians to invest in uh, US stocks. And uh, Matt, you were one of the pioneers of, uh, of bringing the US markets to Australia. And, and that is going to be the theme of today's episode, because usually we have you on to chat about all things stocks over in the US, but this time we're going to be looking at it through the lens of uh, the CEO mm-hmm. series and uh, how you've built stakes, some of the, I guess, your thoughts on the current broker landscape sure. and uh, and then also how you're trying to build stake for the future. So looking forward to it. Yeah. And you say that uh, stake allows Australians to invest in the US markets. We should actually say that uh, stake allows Australians uh English people, oh, true. Brazilians, Brazilians, and New Zealanders That's right. in, the, in yeah. the US market. So, global. global expansion, which we'll, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to. But Matt, uh, we like to start these CEO series by hearing the company leaders describe their companies in their own words. So, to kick us off today, uh, how would you describe Stake? Ambition, okay. probably one word. The ambition of our customers, the ambition of our staff, uh, and our partners, ultimately. We, uh, we try to align the three. We're built on four major tenants, um, customers, staff, partners, and our own shareholders. And all of them come with different ambitions, and but they're ambitious. So we want to make sure that customers have the opportunity to really make something themselves. And that flows through all the way to way, the way we run our business. So yeah, I think someone will say in the office progress, someone will say ambition. I think it's really about ambition and then progress follows that. So if I was going to pick one word, it'll be amb- ambition. And so what was the journey of founding Stake? You know, um, you were previously a professional in the markets, yeah, that's uh, right. trading at Optiva. You're a partner over there. Yeah, that's right. Um, and now you're a CEO of 
a broken <laughs> startup. <laughs> what was the what was the journey of founding? And I guess have there been any particularly tough moments on your entrepreneurial journey that you've learned from? Sure. So even before I was uh, a trader, uh, and then obviously working at Optiva, I uh, I was a lawyer way back in the day. So I did law and finance here in Sydney. I grew up in Perth. I moved over right when university started, which was pretty tough in itself, moving to another city and, and Australian universities are not like in America where you sort of live on campus and have a community. So I found it pretty tough when I first moved to Sydney, but um, no, you know that was, a, that was a good experience anyway, just learning and growing. And then I went into a law firm, Allen's. Um, I've got a common thread there, Bryce. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's Allen's Linklaters now. It's a large law firm. I was there for five years three and a half as a lawyer and then i was paralegaling while i was at university before that and then my maths probably got me into law school and i really just loved the energy of the stock market and i remember turning up to optiva on for an interview and i was there while i was at allen's in a suit and a tie as you do i don't know if they still wear those but um maybe maybe not <laughs> um and I, wrote, I rolled up and there was a dude rolling around on his skateboard with literally no shoes on, <laughs> literally in this thing. And I'm like, I've really got to get rid of my tie. Uh, so I rolled my tie up, put it in my jacket. I was still in the jacket, so I was well overdressed. Um, it, was a, it was a bunch of math tests and a few interviews. And then my journey began. I absolutely loved it. I remember doing that interview process and just, you know, just being like, wow, this is what I want to be doing. And it was an amazing time. Uh, it was 2007 sort of the bull market, um, <laughs> particularly in uh, Hong Kong equities as we're Optiva focused and Aussie equities right before the GFC that the dawn was um, sort of around the corner uh, of the GFC. And um, yeah, it's just a great place to learn, get exposure to really, really smart people. You know, working at Allen's was amazing as well. It, you know, just learned other skills and it was a professional organization that had been around for you know hundreds of years or maybe, I don't know, it was like a Melbourne firm anyway. Like it had a history and had good structures and yeah, then Optiva was just like my foray into the markets. It was, I wouldn't call it the wild, wild west, but we started with 50 people. And when I left, we had, I think, close to 350 wow. in Sydney. So it was, and that was just part of the one, you know, that was the APAC office. So yeah, it was just, you know, great ride. I got to go to Chicago, run the index trading team there for um, US equities. So that was the Russell, the S&P for part of the NASDAQ, the VIX, that complex, which is just a huge, it's like a behemoth of a market, which is obviously the inspiration for stake. And mm. yeah, and then I... I came back and just realized just how far away we were from um, the market, not not physically, but how hard it was for people to access um, those opportunities. When I was in the States, like Netflix had listed, it was on its tear, Tesla listed in 2010. Towards the end of my journey there, Facebook had just listed. Apple was on its tear, Groupon, or if you remember that company, yeah. um, was a Chicago-based company. So that was interesting to follow. And just the excitement and energy around the stock market. So I just wanted to make sure we could you know, Australia should had its amazing potential for, you know, people that have that access, but they were it was more for novelty than anything and it didn't need to be the way. So just jumped in head first and you try and make something happen and you learn a lot of the way. But um yeah, the journey's been nothing but a straight line. Um, you know, in terms of growth, but it's been a lot of it's been a massive roller coaster in terms of emotions as well. But mm. that's what you that's what you're in for. So mm. So I think, um, you know, you started, you, were you the first in Australia to offer $0 brokerage? We, we were, yeah. Um, it had happened in the US, obviously. There yeah. was actually a group before uh, Robinhood, but they didn't make it. Um, that was really interesting. Everyone thinks that Robinhood was the first, but they weren't. Um, I think they were called, uh, what were they called? Uh, I can't, I'll have to get back to you on that one. You can pass that detail on, but it's... It, they, it, 
they're obviously history yeah. now. So, yeah. so, so Robin Hood's considered matter. the pioneer, but you know, I think what history's written by the winners. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, so yeah, we were. Um, you know, our whole thing was really about access and to give people that experience as if you're in Sydney or San Fran, it shouldn't make a difference mm. ultimately. So we were. Um, and it's been, it was tough at the beginning because people didn't quite understand it, but it's become sort of commonplace and in a way it's sort of validated the market mm. uh, and validated the product. So what was it like, you know, early days, you've had this idea, you've started this company, you're going to do $0 brokerage, you're entering a market that's dominated, I assume at that stage still by the Comsex of the world. Um, what was the entrepreneurial journey like trying to break into that market, mm. trying to convince people that $0 brokerage could be a thing? Yeah, I mean, I think price is one aspect. I mean, with financial services and it's different, you've seen um, lending businesses, it's not really about trust ultimately with um, a lending business like an afterpay or a zip, you're giving somebody something. So it's very different for when they're investing in you. So Stake was about creating trust and really understanding the customer's needs. Um, it was a, It's really tough. I, like I, if I had my time again, would I do it again? Probably not. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, and I really mean that. So, you know, I was at a really amazing situation, Optiva, um, you know, I was a senior partner there when I left and would I do it this again? That's what your wife tells you. <laughs> no, no, I just want to tell you. <laughs> she, No, she's really proud of what we build and I'm yeah, really yeah. proud. But, you know, I, I don't think people, I think startups are sort of glorified in a way. Mm -hmm. I'm not allowed to swear in here, this so is, I'll just say it's something is, tough. This is a bit worrying given that we've just quit our yeah, jobs. Cushy yeah. <laughs> yeah. corporate jobs. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the growth you get from starting a business and starting taking something from an idea to you know zero to one's the hardest bit in any in any business and yeah once you start like it's a lot more enjoyable now it sounds really weird than it was at the beginning it's it's exciting at the beginning but it's very very tough and you're just getting things thrown at you straight away you know things that you don't just take for granted you know like there are just structures in organizations that you don't even need to think about but you need to think about everything when you start yeah. saying from as you guys are finding out now. But yeah. it's amazing when you start. And that's why I'm so I'm a massive fan of people that go and do their own things because they're the ones that are taking the risk to go and you know, we employ fifty people now. Like yeah. that's yeah. amazing in itself. And you guys will get there too, which is yeah. super exciting. We're currently at one, so yeah, forty nine yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost soon to be two. Uh, unless we count, then yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> you count. We contracted. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, so I guess sort of back off uh, Alex' um, comment there, one of the biggest sort of questions that we had from our community um, early on was around uh, how does stake make money yeah. and are they legit? Mm -hmm. um, and I, you had a pretty small team at the time. How, how do you go about changing the consumer mindset when it comes to convincing people? And, and I think maybe for people who still have that question, yeah. maybe can you answer yeah. it as well? Sure, sure. <laughs> Look, it's always a valid question. It's important to know how a business makes money. So, I mean, I can answer that straight away and I can talk about the journey. So, Stake makes money in three ways. Um, we make it on the FX transfer when you move money from your local currency to US dollars, whether that be Aussie, New Zealand, pound uh, or EI in Brazil. Uh, and then back again, we don't make it on like other brokers do on every trade. So other brokers charge you an FX fee every time you trade and they make you convert. So they don't let you hold USD, which to us is um, not acceptable. So that's the first way. We make it on the interest sitting, the idle cash sitting on accounts, which is obviously zero at the moment, the interest yeah, rate. Yeah. So, Tough to rely on yeah, that. Yeah. I, we really make it in two ways, but I'm going I'm I'm to give you the third. Yeah, no, I'm going to give you the third just so we're, you know, people are aware when rates do go up. Um, and the last way is we make it on uh, the premium account, Stake Black. 
so people that want more sophistication or they want analyst ratings or price targets or full data um, regarding you know how companies quarterly reporting um, so they can just you know level up if they want and just take their investing to another level so yeah it's really three clear ways and as i said what we do is we've just rolled a u.s experience out to people outside the u.s so in, a, in the u.s you'd have the same services without the fx ultimately so you don't pay anything to trade in the u.s why should you not have that experience in australia or new zealand or wherever you are now the other question hmm. about uh the beginning so that's more of a business it just takes time you know, we, I remember our first, I'm actually very close friends now with our first, one of our first customers. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's just, you just have to speak to customers, understand their needs, what they're about. Uh, you've got an idea as a business, but until you, the rubber hits the road, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, it's all about just the customer and it still is all about the customer. If we're fully focused on our customers and speaking to them and our, the most important thing you can do is just understand what they're about, what their needs are. You know, what are the questions? As you said, you know, how do they make money? How do you make money? Um, how can I trust you? Those are the sort of situations where you just need to actually, you know, I was doing that in the beginning and I still and I still do it. I, I love getting on the customer service um, channel and I love going and speaking to customers and that inspires me to, you know, push stake to another level. So um, it's always the way and it will always remain the way. If you had your time again, other than not doing it. <laughs> um, I, 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 mean, I say that sort of flippantly. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to change the, the consumer mindset and convince them that $0 brokerage is a thing. What would you have done differently? You know, everyone, you know, when you start a startup, you're always trying to get as much, I guess, uh, traction and, yeah. and trust as fast as possible. What would you have done differently? Oh, there's so many mistakes we made and I'll be totally transparent because that's what we've learned. We just, you know, it's all about focus. We know we had right at the beginning, we offered gift cards. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, it just wasn't what we were about ultimately. Uh, we were about giving people access to the US market. We thought that was a great way to give people that wanted to share that journey, but we actually hadn't built the platform yet to mm. go and, well, we had built it, but we actually hadn't built the name and the brand and the association of what we're about. So it's all about focus. It's all about just being laser sharp. What is the most essential thing your yeah. customer needs? And our customer needed access to opportunity mm. and gift cards weren't part of it. So we scrapped it. And that was an amazing decision we made. Um, people still ask about it. I know. I have, I, someone actually asked me recently, can you give stocks to someone else? And I thought back about your gift <laughs> yeah, cards. Yeah. 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 I think there's a way we can do it again. We're sort of back in discussions uh, with other, but it's more about actually gifting them the experience of investing. Yeah. Not the actual stock itself. Yeah. So, look, there's just little things we're thinking about. But as I said, it's not the most essential thing right now for our customers. There are other things, but um, we'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> so, um, we don't want to. We don't want this to be like we're grilling you. About, you, know, <laughs> you how can do you make me. money? And now, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, you know you, you talked about the customer service and the customer feedback, and obviously, uh, steak has. Uh, been front and center recently because of this GameStop stuff. Um, so I guess uh, let's start at uh, a high level. Um, what was your experience of the GameStop saga, um, and you know how how did that interaction between what was going on in the US, what was going on in the state customer base, and what was going on behind closed doors at stake? How did that all? sort of interact yeah so i i've never seen anything quite like it i'll be totally honest it was more than um about investing it was quite political so that was um quite stressful to be honest uh look we i i'm very much libertarian in my views that people have the right to do whatever they want buy sell you know if they want to buy 
tobacco stocks, they want to go buy weed stocks, they want to go buy EV stocks, they want to go buy a Vanguard ETF. That is your absolute right and we do not tell people how or what to invest in and they have should have be able to express themselves in any way so i'm very much on the side of if people want to buy a GameStop or sell it or do whatever they want to do that is their right so for me i'm totally with that the ability to exercise that right but it was pretty tough i mean there are certain the, the financial markets are a complex beast there's a lot of players you know the nasdaq went to, uh, i think digital and I think it's like the late 60s. I mean, this is you know a long time ago, like 50-odd years ago. It's um, more than 50 years ago. So there's a lot of legacy there. And, you know, th- that means that there's a lot of things that need to happen and it would be absolutely perfect to execute um, a trade ultimately. And unfortunately, the system just didn't, wasn't able to handle what was happening. And, um, you know, we're the front end and that's mm. what customers see. So we receive a lot of that feedback and, Ultimately, like I understand their frustration and we learn from it, we get better, we, we have to and that's all we can do. I think for people who only did see the front end, you know, who were state customers who couldn't trade GameStop or for people who just heard about it on Twitter and stuff like that, can you explain what actually broke down in that, sure. in that process? Yeah, so I was just want to reiterate they could trade. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of people that executed orders. Um, you know, we were totally, hopefully, really transparent the whole way through. There were issues during market because of the volume and that were happening both downstream and on our side. So, but we were totally transparent. If you wanted to place a limit order or an order before market, you could have placed the, an order. Um, in the same way, I think that some of the older school platforms were, you can't place orders during the, the market, but with state, you could have done that and you could have actually placed orders um, before and set all your levels before the market opened and you would have got executed accordingly. So I just want to clarify yeah, that. Yeah. The issue I think you're probably referring to is when the GameStop was set to sell only where you couldn't buy more. Yes. And now, you know, we we are not the actual executing broker in the US and most, I don't think any Australian or really any international brokerage would actually, maybe interactive brokers are actually their own executing broker in the US. And so just for people who aren't familiar with that, that means you receive the order and then you pass it on to yeah. someone who actually executes yeah. the trade in market over in the US. Yeah, so we, we, we're basically the, the, the layer the customer sees and those instructions are passed directly through, like actually the same, the same message is passed through to the executing broker dealer. So we're sort of at the mercy of what they allow in terms of stocks. And, you know, we fight, tooth and nail and in a respectful way for more stocks as i said we want to we're pushing really hard now to get more and more stocks for our customers that want to access those so but at the end of the day we have to respect that partner they they had capital constraints so what happens it's really complicated um i can try go into it but yeah so there's there's certain things called the dtcc which is the depository trust and clearing corporation which then sets levels for how much margin you need to hold against stock and because of the T plus two, as I said, it gets complicated. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't want to give you a lecture here. Too long, so, didn't, yeah, too long didn't read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I needed that coffee that I didn't get. Yeah. I ordered you guys two coffees and they didn't make mine. So this is why I'm a bit, you know, yeah, yeah. a bit scattered. So, you know, long story short, there was a period of a few days where it was difficult for people to access the stake platform and mm-hmm. execute trades, even though in the background it certainly seemed possible. Uh, there was and and then also you, you know the executing brokers over in the states were making decisions that were equally yeah. affecting what you could offer the customers yeah. from sort of like a CEO hat on. Yeah. How do you sort of plan for moments like that? And have has it made you reconsider business model or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, 
I just want to go back. Like the executing brokers also got downstream partners. Yeah, so right. a lot of things outside their control as well. That's why I talk about that legacy. So I've got to respect the fact that there's just things that I can't see. Yeah. Much like our customers see us, we see that executing broker. I'm sure there are things that go downstream. So uh, I've got to be sensitive to that. Um, in terms of planning, you can't plan for situation. I don't think I ate for two weeks, to be honest. Um, yeah. oh, I remember that weekend. That's why he's asked me if I'd lost weight. Yeah, well, you're looking <laughs> trim. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> look, you don't want those situations too often. No, um, no. But um, yeah, these, yeah, it was really stressful. Um, it wasn't a moment that I would ask for again. Yeah. You know, I just felt for our customers, I felt for our staff. Um, yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation. You just have to roll with it a bit. And my role as the CEO is to face up to the music, ultimately, uh, and also provide support to staff because ultimately the staff are the ones that are also in there, mm. um, in the thick of it, trying to solve problems, dealing with partners, dealing with customers, dealing with me. Um, <laughs> and, and all you can do as a CEO is just try to be as strong as possible, even though you don't feel it on the inside. Um, and it was stressful on my family as well and those things happen um, but that's where you grow and I can't if I look back that's something I wouldn't change because we're going to get better from it mm. we learn a lot the customers understood where we came from and you know even you guys gave the feedback about our response during the you know the, the process and what was happening was you know like that drives us to be better so look it's just about as saying staying as strong and calm as possible even on the inside you don't really feel like that mm. Mm. So um, you said there were, you know, you learn a lot and you're going to get better from it. Uh, I guess what are, what have you put any changes into the business yeah. or like what what are you going to implement from from that period? Yeah, well, I think it's learning a little bit more about how our partners. Like I had, I have good. I feel like I've got good knowledge of the U.S. trading infrastructure from my time there, and but it's going into more detail. Like I'm a lot more involved personally now in order management, and I'm putting a lot of pressure on our partner to give me a lot of information, and I've really sunk my teeth into that. Something I really love, actually, um, <laughs> just going into the detail again yeah, and how yeah. orders work and really just fighting for better controls for order management because there was a big issue there that we were feeling downstream because of what they what they were building on their side. So I'm really just challenging a lot of those things. So that's a product-specific thing. From an infrastructure thing, we've just put a bunch of time into you know scaling and, you know as I said, making sure that partners downstream and we're dealing with exceptions that happen up. I don't know how much you guys understand the technology like i'm learning as we go a little bit but there's certain messages that get sent and they have impacts on our technology and just dealing with those in a more i guess graceful way would probably be how a technologist describes it um and then just scaling out the team so we've been lucky enough um to get more staff in we've invested in you know just more more clarity for our staff about you know what are the most essential things that a customer needs and it's about access you know when you when you have these situations, it's not about feature sets. It's about just being really effing good at one thing. Mm. And, and that, that thing for us is access. So that's where the focus has been and will and has continued to be. And it's just um, it's sharpened that focus for us. Yeah, nice. We will uh, just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then get back into it. So, Matt, there is no doubt that our competition is heating up in mm -hmm. the space. New brokers coming to town, what feels like almost every week. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we said we weren't going to grill him, but now we're going into yeah, another yeah, part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's we're fine. Just, yeah, you know. Fine. <laughs> he knows what he's in for. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but it's all about the growth, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll be stronger at the end of this. Equity mate's toughest interview in yeah, finance. <laughs> I mean, it's no doubt that uh, it's it, access is getting easier for retail investors. It's getting cheaper. Um, you see what's happening in the States and there's a bit of a race to the bottom when mm -hmm. it comes to fees and it feels like 
there's uh, sort of something happening like that over here in Australia. Um, where do you sort of see stake sitting in the broker landscape at the moment? And um, we always like to get a, an idea of what the CEO thinks their sort of com- major competitive advantages are. Yeah, look, it's a really good question. Um, I can't really focus too much on the competition. Uh, that's going to come naturally. If you um, if you deliver a good job, people will see an opportunity as well. So I sort of take that as a little bit of a compliment. But at the same time, like our focus is just on our customers, what they need. Um, I'm head down listening to them. We're aware of competitors, but it's not our focus at all. And you can't respond. You've got to run your own race a bit. Um, you know, I think what's stake. If you think about what we are, we are a place in which people can move forward. And as I said, I talk about that word ambition right at the beginning and we represent that for our customers. And I think our customers recognize that, that when we do something and we make a mistake, we own up to it and we learn from it. And we always push to do things in a great way, in a more creative way. And we think a little bit differently to the to the rest of the pack. Um, as I said, we're not necessarily only about price or about a lot of things, but the one thing we are about is ambition and representing that, and that will always be, you know, our go-to. Uh, and I think our customers, the ones that are aware of what we're about and know about our journey and know what they get with us, they see that, and that will always be our point of difference. Ultimately, the world doesn't need another broker. You know? <laughs> uh, it's a utility. Yeah, ultimately, hear, hear that? Anyone trying to come to Australia? Yeah, exactly. we, we, don't, we don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wanted. Um, no, I, I mean I think it's good. It drives us to be better, and it makes us more aware. And sh- as I said, sharpens our focus on what's important. But our whole thing will be about access to opportunity, whether that be you know in in US equities. In we've started obviously our SMSF platform, so people can you know. Your, your generation and my generation can a- open up an SMSF in just a few clicks. Uh, and you know, we've brought the, I think ASIC said the costs, or the ATO said the costs were like average of $15,000 to have it set up and administered. We've got it down to well below 1000 So just breaking down barriers in a really good way, using technology, understanding what the customer's needs are so customers can go and grab opportunities and we'll always be that. So I think our customers sort of see that we're a little bit different in a way that we're just not about trading or investing we're actually about them and what they want to do with their lives i want to put a pin in that smsf conversation because i want to come back to that in a second but one more question on the broker landscape so sure. you were in the states when you know the the robin hood the ameritrade all of that like were racing to the bottom mm-hmm. in terms of cost so i guess you saw some of it play sure. out before over there how do you expect it to play out in australia like what's the end game here it feels like you've got some inside information about this question. Oh, I don't. <laughs> Honestly, we're yeah, just fascinated from watching. me. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, even in 2021, I think there's like three new entrants that have come in that are trying to do low cost. Yeah. Bloody all through summer, superheroes been on every bus and train that you walk past, you know. You guys are growing, like Comsec and stuff. Are we saw you on the, at the MCG last night, didn't we? Yeah. What? Steak doing the oh, yeah, yeah, steak yeah, on yeah, the MCG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I made it to the AFL finally. <laughs> Look, and, I couldn't do I couldn't do it as a player, so <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, for us we're just looking at it being like how what what's the end game here? Yeah, I just watch this space is all I can tell you. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit of a hint for what's coming. Okay, okay. All right, we'll uh, we'll we'll put a pin in that. And come <laughs> yeah, back to that in the that's future. a big that's a that's like a dartboard that <laughs> yeah. one. But um, you mentioned the SMSF uh, feature sure. there, and so for people who are unfamiliar, um, basically, if you want to have a self-managed super fund, but you don't want to deal with all the admin and all the costs that comes that's with right. it, Stake are offering to take all that off your hands. Is that's, that yeah? That's right. So you look at Stake's customer; it's thirty-two years old on average. 
works in the city, professional generally, um, and they've probably thought about having an SMSF and there's something about having your own SMSF, but it's just been out of reach because it's just been made to be like exactly the same way US equities were when we started. It's just clunky, it's slow, it's complicated. You're told you don't need one because the super funds make it cheaper and easier, but that's because it was just so bloody hard to... You know, I was... No, if, you know, I've told you who my accountant is because I've shared the information with you. <laughs> I was getting, you know, I was paying, I think, four grand a year for my super to be just administered. You know, we've, Stake's been able to just use technology and we've brought in Chris, who's an SMSF expert, and do it, you know, at a quarter of that cost. So um, I love my accountant. He's a lovely guy. But at the same time, you know, if there's a better way to do things, we'll always push for that. And, you know, we're in beta now. Um, we've got, you know, a VIP list of customers that are testing and helping us nurture and develop the product. And, it's just about breaking down those barriers and people that wanted to have an SMSF or would be thinking about it when they're sort of 45 can now start thinking about it when they're 30 and be like, well, I don't need to have that 300 grand that everyone tells me I need to have because actually it's cost effective at 50 grand. And then they can have full control about what they invest in and they don't need to be limited and just get a PDF statement once every six months from their APRA super fund mm-hmm. that sort of says, oh, we put an index fund and we took, you know, $150 of fees out. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, Matt, before we move on to the people and culture and future plans, a bit of a shameless plug if you want to support Equity Mates and also have ambition, uh, as, as Matt uh, talks about. <laughs> or if you about. do have ambition. Or if you do have amb- <laughs> yeah, ambition yeah, and, yeah. and want to join the, what, 300,000 traders that are now on yeah, stake thereabouts. Yeah, it could be more even. Um, yeah. head, head across to hellostake.com. You can sign up there and uh, use the code EQUITYMATES when you sign up and uh, you'll go in the draw to win one of three free stocks that are currently with steak, I think it's uh, what are they? Uh, have to Nike, Nike, Dropbox, Dropbox and Dropbox. GoPro. Is that GoPro, right? Yeah, Jeez, I was looking I'm at good. Dropbox. I'm like, wow, this thing's really turned around. <laughs> uh, so yeah, use Equity Mates uh, to sign up and fund your account, and then yeah, they'll throw a free stock your way. Pretty pretty decent way to start your investing journey. But um, moving on to people and culture, Matt, we love hearing about how CEOs are trying to build that because when we speak to in you know professional investors, it's always about the management and uh, you know it's it's really difficult to get information on on management so do you have a leadership philosophy as a ceo and how, how are you trying to build i guess the culture at stake sure so i yes absolutely i do have a philosophy and it changes as i learn more yeah and hopefully get better it's all about the people i'm not you know everyone says that but you don't really realize it until you're 50 people deep and <laughs> you need people managing people uh, it's all about the people and we're really lucky i feel you know i'm so proud yeah you know when the other day i hired a we hired a new um staff person for customer service and i got the i called him up and i said congratulations we're going to make you an offer i'm just so excited that you're joining us and to be able to make those yeah. calls and he's like oh, i just i so want to be part of this journey you know i was so excited when i walk in your office the people are amazing and, and that what's makes me so proud is that when I see people that want to be part of our journey and they elevate us even further and you have to nurture that. And like we've been lucky enough that we've had great people from the beginning that have wanted to be part of what we're building. Um, But it takes effort. It takes real effort. And I think my philosophy is just be yourself. I I feel like I'm approachable. Um, I'll own things when I get it wrong and that's a lot of the time. And I want people to never feel afraid of making a mistake. I want them to try stuff. I want them to throw caution to the wind but responsibly and learn from it. It's about making decisions relatively quickly. Um, and if you get it wrong, own it, move on, learn, repeat. 
and just make sure you keep making better decisions, but you feel that you can make them. No one wants to be in an organization where you're stifled and people say no. Um, they want their own level of accountability. So you've just got to give them space to grow. And I feel that, that has to come from the top. Mm. And my philosophy is very much about you've got the ability to do anything and I've got to make sure that people actually believe that internally as well. Yeah, it's a good philosophy. Great thing about uh, doing this series and being able to ask this question is we can really just pick and choose the yeah, best bits yeah. from everyone else's leadership <laughs> philosophies. <laughs> well, your staff of one are really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. no, it's all da- about it's, the it's, people. It's da- yeah. It starts now. Yeah. Honestly, it yeah. starts yeah. now. And, you know, when you hire someone else, the person they're going to be talking to the most is your other employee. Mm. So you've just got to no set No coffee standard. room, buddy. Water cooler chat yeah. for now, employees. <laughs> we don't have a water cooler. Yeah. True, we need a water cooler. You did offer me a coffee though after mine got left at the coffee shop. <laughs> so Matt, we uh, we mentioned uh, that steak is in four countries at the moment. Yep. Uh, the UK, uh, Brazil, Australia, New Zealand. Um, I guess, how's that uh, expansion gone? Like, have you learn anything from entering these different markets i guess people may be confused by the geographic spread sure. so maybe uh why those four countries yeah i mean australia and new zealand makes sense yeah, yeah. right uh my co-founder is british dan so and we we always saw the opportunity for, to be that us outside the us like really about offering us equities the world's biggest market to people outside the us because it's difficult in the uk believe it or not they get charged even the new brokers are charging fx on every trade Really? It drives me insane. Um, so we think there's a big opportunity to go and shake things up there. Like it's just, for me, it's actually un- unacceptable. So that's um, and with Dan being the being British, um, it makes a lot of sense to um, have a business over there. Brazil's a really interesting one. That's probably the one that sort of stands out. So Steak never really had intentions to go to Latin America. Obviously, we wanted to be global, uh, but it was really about just nailing it in Australia. But my chairman, who's become our chairman over time, actually started and built Brazil's first online trading platform. He's an amazing guy. Um, so he's my mentor ultimately, uh, and I'm happy to admit it. He sits next to me every day. He's become an exec member of the team now, so he's in there. And yeah, he said in early 2000s, he built and sold Brazil's first online trading platform to Santander Bank ultimately. It got acquired and he came across to Australia. It's an amazing story. You should actually have him on because he's far more interesting than me. <laughs> uh, he sailed for a year with his four kids across from Sao Paulo to actually ended the boat in Auckland. It's wow. based in Auckland and then moved to Australia um, just as an adventurer. I remember when he was at university, he left Cornell. He did his master's at Cornell and he never ridden a motorbike, just bought a motorbike and drove it all the way back down to yeah, so just to have people like that. And the opportunity in Brazil is enormous. You know, it's um same time zone as America. It's a very similar situation, you know, in terms of the types of companies that are listed on their local exchange, the Bovespa. And it, it matches our mission of really giving people access no matter where you are. And um, they need it just as much as Australians do. And, you know, to have someone who's done it before and can teach you and you can learn off, it, it made sense to place a little bit of a bet in brazil and it's paying off so we're really really happy with that how's your portuguese uh, terrible <laughs> um you know it's amazing when you speak to the staff there they apologize for the english and i'm like you've got nothing to apologize for <laughs> if we had this in portuguese i'd be staring blankly at you <laughs> um so yeah it's yeah it's just an amazing journey learning about different cultures different regulators different market structures um different needs of customers and 
Look, I, as I said, I, I said right at the beginning I wouldn't do it again, but when I get to talk about what I've learned over the journey, I'd definitely do it again. Mm. So, yeah, those are the things that really just amaze me every day. I'm, I imagine that's probably the the hardest part. Like you, you think about an online tech business and you think, well, you know, tech like tech can be global very quickly but i feel every country different set of regulations like the opportunity to scale would be constrained by that like it would be yeah. difficult navigating it every time yeah and that's why i say it's all about the people you need to put the right person in place and the right person needs to want to come and work for you so and that's really hard when you've got nothing in a market when we're lucky to have great people in all of our markets um you know there's different challenges in each market and you need to be dynamic and you need to have that attitude that i'm going to make quick decisions but if i get it wrong i'm going to quickly make another one and see if that's the right one and learn from it and if you've got that overarching philosophy in your business you will find a way to succeed and we just got to maintain that speaking of succeeding and uh expansion what does the next sort of 12 months hold for stake that you're able to reveal or that you want to uh reveal for the first time True. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's a chance i, I, I had to check with brian my cmo um <laughs> i'll tell you i'm not even the boss of my own business uh or the boss of my own home uh so i mean there's a lot you know we're really focusing on australia i'll say that and new zealand as well um you know, very similar markets in terms of culture and customers and needs. So you can imagine what that's going to be. Um, I won't say anything explicit, but <laughs> I'll say it in crypt. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to be done in Australia. But really, as I said, back, it's about what we learned from the whole situation at the end of January. It's just about getting better at what we're doing and making it really good, improving the, the front end, the back end, the infrastructure, building out the team, the customer service team. It's just at every level, it's just about improving. It's, it sounds cliched, but it's just the truth. Yeah. Mm. Um, but there will be some pretty interesting products being rolled out this year, but it's all about having that base done first. So yeah. it's um, making it tra- like we just released bank transfers so people you know, could fund more easily. Uh, little things that just make the experience better, but those little things matter. And mm. it's being laser sharp on making, those, um, making it a great experience for people to access the market. Mm. So we're eternal optimists here at Equity Mates, but uh, with everything, there are risks. What are some of the biggest risks for your business right now? Oh, yeah, they're very good questions. Um, look, I'm also an eternal optimist, so uh, you know, I, oof, I need probably a bit more time to think. There's no one big risk. I think there's always execution is everything. Like I, I don't mean that from trade execution; that is everything as well for it. <laughs> but executing our business as our plan, um, you know, I think if we focus too much on the competition, that's actually a risk. It's actually just what are we about? Uh, we're about our customers giving them the ability to make something more of themselves to make their mark on the world. And if we don't focus on that, that is probably the biggest risk. It's about understanding what they need, what they like, what they don't like, what we can improve on, and that needs to drive us. And if you lose sight of that, that's a massive risk because then you end up just building everything that they didn't want and you end up being like the players that you're trying to disrupt. And I just don't want that to happen. I'm too proud a person to allow that to happen at stake. So, Matt, it's been uh, a really enjoyable conversation. We appreciate your transparency with um, everything from, you know, looking back on where you started, what, five years ago with Stake and um, the challenges that you faced, but also, I guess, the the successes. If you were to sort of think about Stake in 10 years' time, what does uh, success look like for you and for Stake? Yeah, I mean, it depends how you measure it. You can measure it on how many customers you have. I don't think that's the best measure for us um the type of business we want to be 
I think it's just about the satisfaction our customers get from our product and our experience and our brand. And how do they, when they talk about steak, do they say, yeah, I've been using steak for five years and it's like I look at it every day and I'm proud that I'm a customer. That to me would be success. So yeah, if in five, in 10 years time, if people are still saying that, like I'll be over the moon. Will you be CEO in 10 years? Uh, you know, in some ways I hope not, but then I hope so as well. <laughs> no, I, 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 if there are people that come that are better than you that can take your job, you've done yeah, an amazing yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not because it's it's not because I've not delivered. It's yeah. because someone is better than me at it. That, do, that would be amazing. Do a Bezos and then just sit on the. Well, he's MD now, isn't yeah. he? Or, or chairman? chairman. Yeah, yeah. yeah, slightly different scale of business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think Same you guys deal. can get there. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to find your next business. Your yeah, Amazon yeah. Web Services. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Matt, it, as I said, it has been a, a pleasure. Um, you know, you've certainly helped us on our entrepreneurial journey and uh, are as much a mentor to us as some of the people that you have in your business as well. So, um, you know, we've really appreciated the conversation and it's been refreshing to get a bit of an insight into how you think about being a CEO and growing a business rather than just what's hot and what's not yeah. over, <laughs> over in the States at the moment. Although we'll, we do want to keep up to date with what, what's hot and what's not in future. I think everything's hot right now, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Um, so yeah, a, a massive thank you and yeah, uh, it's yeah. always a pleasure. No, I loved it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.